Hello, everybody, and welcome to the ninth episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and this week I have a very special guest, a pet lover so passionate she does it every single day. She's also a huge true crime lover, too. My guest host this week is Kelly Smith. Hello, Kelly. How are you doing? Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Hi, Liam. I know you're so excited to be here because you've been texting about it like literally every single every day, day which I love so much I was so enthusiastic I've been counting down the days I don't get out much so this <laughs> is the highlight of my mom excellent well I am so happy that you're here so Kelly and I go all the way back to high school we met I believe in business yeah, class I, I just yeah. took a guess on that back when we were at Carmel High School in New York almost 10 years ago. Now she works with all sorts of cute pups and kittens at Little Shelter Rescue and Adoption in Huntington, New York, and Southampton Animal Shelter in Hampton Bays, New York. So, like the Long Island Animal Shelter Queen, basically. <laughs> yeah, Liam, no, I definitely work for two incredible rescues that do things and I'm so excited to talk a little more about them. Yeah, well, I know you're so passionate about it and you have all sorts of rescue animal content. I know you're a rescue mom too. You know, I'm a rescue dad of two. Um, So we love our rescue pups and we love you for loving your rescue pups so much too. Absolutely. I got my gravy girl sitting side by side me right now. <laughs> her just to be clear, her name is Gravy. Like, you know, yeah. she's like reminds she, her of Gravy. She was found on the streets of New York City during Thanksgiving. Oh. So uh oh. the New York ACC gave her the name Gravy. Oh, that's so I didn't know that story. That's so awesome. Um, well, go check Kelly out online too, so you can see all of Gravy content because we love that. Um, so let's get into our wine of the week. Kelly, what do you think? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to crack this bottle open. Me too. I I've been really eyeing this for a while, ever since we decided to do this. Um, and I'm ready for it. So this week we are drinking Voga's Pinot Grigio. It's a subtle white with flavors of peach, pulp, yellow apples, and a palette that leads to a mineral spring-like water finish. Ooh. Which is kind of fun. I feel like it matches the elegant bottle. Oh, for sure. I almost, and you know what's funny is actually, I think the first time I saw this bottle, I actually thought it was mineral water. So I think that they're clearly leaning into that in a big way. It mimics a fancy water that I definitely yeah. pass in the grocery store. Oh, and one that definitely costs like 20 bucks. And to be clear, not all water is created equally. Like I, like I stand by that. Amen, sister. I, you know, I'm a huge smart water guy. That's like my go-to water. Um, and like also water personally, but smart Ooh. water is not bad. Um, should we start a water podcast? <laughs> Crime over water? I think we should do that. I think that's the spinoff. I think that's the spinoff for sure. Life is a balance. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know what? Some people just don't like wine, but everyone li- everyone has to drink water. I think we should do it. True. Cheers to you. Thanks so much for coming on. Okay. I enjoy this. I definitely taste the peach. The peach is popping and it is... It is a very light wine. Like when they said a mineral spring water like finish, it like to a T. Like that, it definitely reminds me of like drinking like, you know, a very nice glass of. They're spot on. Give them a 100%. Raise. I am so ready to talk about this story. I have so many thoughts. 
I feel very confident you will too. And I'm intrigued. I'm drawn in. I want to know more. You are in for the ride of your life then, Kelly, because I went in. This week, Kelly, I want to take you to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where you can make a difference in a mind-bending death investigation playing out right now as we speak. It's a story that is going to send you in circles and circles. At first, you probably will land right where the investigators ended up landing on this, but Hold on tight, because as the family proved just in the last few months, that was not the full story, not even close to it. And it will make you wonder if there is really a cover-up going on in Philadelphia as we speak. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Ellen Greenberg and the 20 self-inflicted stab wounds. In January of 2011, Ellen Greenberg seemed to finally be accomplishing everything she wanted to. The 27-year-old was working for an elementary school, which is what she always wanted to do. She was living in the vibrant city of Philadelphia and was engaged to the love of her life. Family and friends described her as competitive, agreeable, and truly just the life of the party. She graduated from Penn State about five years earlier, where she even worked as a lionizer, which is what the school called students who introduced prospective football players to the campus. January 26th was going well for Ellen. She spoke with her mom around 7 that morning when they were both going to work, but her mom later tells investigators that they had a pretty basic conversation. She was a little overwhelmed with classroom work, though. This was her third year as an elementary school teacher in the city, and grades were due that day. But midday, she got the news that every teacher and every student across the country prays for in the winter. Schools in the city were letting out early for a snow day. A nor'easter was barreling toward the tri-state area. So relieved and probably in a pretty good mood with this positive news of a free half day, Ellen went home and got gas around at 1.30 that afternoon before heading back to the apartment she shared with her fiancé on Flat Rock Road. She and her fiancé, Sam Goldberg, had a pretty simple afternoon, nothing crazy while they were snowed in together. Around 4.45, though, Sam decided that he was going to go for a quick workout at the gym in their apartment complex. He came back about 30 minutes later, which feels like a pretty short workout to me, but, like, whatever. I'm also not, like, a huge gym rat either, so. Yeah, I was just gonna say, please don't judge. Um, I think <laughs> my, when I was in my workout phase, I'm pretty sure I rounded about at 29, 29.5 minutes minutes okay okay so maybe i'm i mean but like i mean you see pictures of sam like he's a pretty big dude like i don't really see him i don't know i could be wrong though i don't know how long it takes true i will say when i used to go to the gym with my ex his uh workouts were much more intense and longer Mm -hmm. than mine yeah Well, when Sam got back to the apartment, he said the door was locked, and not only the deadbolt, but instead from the inside. It was locked using the latch that's only accessible from the inside of the apartment, kind of like in a hotel room. It's, you know, that, like, bar that goes across to make sure that nobody can get in no matter what. So he's wondering what's going on and tries to call out for Alan, and when she doesn't answer, he tries texting, calling, and even emailing her to get her to open the door. When she wouldn't answer, 
he said he goes downstairs to get the security guard who was on staff, but he can't get the door open either. And I'm not sure what Sam's thought process is here, and this is a really important point later on, so hold on to this, but I'm not sure what, like, a security guard could have done. Like, if the door is actually, like, shut from the inside and locked from the inside, no one's really going to be able to open it, at least they shouldn't be able to. Like, that's kind of the whole point of locking your door that way, I would think. I don't know. Is there some sort of contraption that maybe a utility man or a maintenance man has? Like, kind of like when you lock your keys in the car, there's mm-hmm. that uh, device that police can use to unlock the cars. Is it? Is there something like that? I don't know. I mean, I can't, I'm, maybe there is. I don't know. In fact, maybe I should like look it up really fast, but I, I mean, I can't imagine there is, but like also like creepy, like if there is, cause it's like, again, like if you, like the whole point of locking your door that way is like, so, so no can one can in. get in. Yeah. And like you would think that like the security guard would have like a universal key, you know? So like you, so like if you really wanted to shut it that way, like you want to make sure nobody can get in the apartment, even if they have a key. Yeah. I was going to say, even if uh, my, I lived with my fiance and he was going down to the gym. I see myself locking the door. That mm-hmm. would be safe. Uh, but to deadbolt, it doesn't really make sense to me if I know my fiance would be returning. Oh, pretty soon too. Like, I mean, within like, I mean, again, like 30 minutes seems really short, but like at least within like the next like hour or two. Right. That being said, I remember in a uh, college, me and my roommate were horrible at locking our dorm mm-hmm. door. But my next roommate was super, super serious about it. So I was super serious about it. Mm. Uh, so I could see maybe if she, if that was her routine and, uh, he mm-hmm. was used to coming home and her having to unlock the deadbolt every day. Like I could see that, but that would be more yeah. neurotic. Yeah, and that does not seem to be the case at all here. So after about a half hour of trying to get Ellen's attention to no avail, Sam decides he's going to break down the door himself. And when he does, the sight inside is one he will never be able to forget. When Sam breaks down the door, he finds Ellen slumped over, bloodied and unconscious in their kitchen, and he immediately calls 911. Please hurry. 4601 Flat Rock? Yes. Let's go. 
My, my, I just, my, I went downstairs to go work out. I came back up. The door was latched. My fiance's inside. She wasn't, she wasn't answering. So after about a half hour, I decided to break it down. I see her now just on the floor with blood. She's not, she's not responding. Okay, is she breathing? She, I, look at her chest. I need you to calm down. And I need you to look at her chest. It's really I don't think she, I really don't think she is. Listen to me. Someone's on the way. Look at her chest. Is she flat on her back? She's on her back. Do I okay, bring her? Look at her chest and tell me if it's going up and down, up and down. I don't see her moving. Okay, do you know how to do CPR? I don't. Okay, I can tell you what to do, okay, until they get there. I want you to keep her phone. Oh, her God. Phone. Hello? Yeah, hi, okay. Are you willing to do CPR with me over the phone until they get I guess there? I, I have to, right? Okay, so get her flat on her back, bare her chest, okay? You want to rip her shirt off. Oh, shit. Okay. You need to kneel down by her side. Oh, my God. Allie, please. Listen, listen. You can't freak out, sir. Cause you okay, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to. Her shirt won't come off. It's a zipper. Rip oh, my off. God. She stabbed herself. Where? She fell on a knife. Oh, no. Her knife's sticking out. Her what? There's a knife sticking out of her heart. Oh, she stabbed herself? I, I guess so. I don't know where she fell on it. I don't know. Okay, well, don't touch it. Okay, okay, so I'm just, I just let her down. here now. I mean, what do I do? Oh, I mean, you can't. If the knife is at her chest, it's going to be kind of hard for you to do CPR at this time. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Police, which operator? 277. Is okay. someone coming here? Yes, they are. You said 4601 flat, right? Right. Yes. Okay, someone's on the way. The knife is still inside? Which what? The knife is still inside of her? Yes, I didn't take it out. Okay, so what do you make of that, Kelly? Weird to me that her his first instinct is to say she stabbed herself. Or fell on a knife. Like, okay. He gave a lot of energy in the beginning. It was really powerful. Mm-hmm. And it seems like towards the end, he just declined. Papers he, off. You don't mm-hmm. hear the like fast breathing that you would think think would come mm-hmm. with you walked in on your fiance dead from what you think you mm-hmm. don't hear any 
shaking in his voice. You don't hear any discrepancies in his breathing. Well, and what kind of like blows my mind um, is like toward the end when they're like, oh, is there like any sign of a break in? And he's like, no. Oh, but there will be when you get here. Because, like, it's, like, it seems very, like, immediately defensive. Like, I don't know. I guess I could kind of see that, too, where it's, like, okay, well, like, just so you guys know, like, I had to break into the apartment, like, you know, like, so that's, like, you know, that you're going to see that. But it seems like that was, like, the initial instinct of, like, okay, let me just make sure that you guys know that, like, there's nothing to see here. And also, too... So, like, a couple of thoughts about, like, the, like, the knife, too, because, like, so this was, like, and we're about to get here, too, but this was, like, a kitchen knife, so this was not, like, like a, like a switch knife or anything, like, it's, it was a, it's a large knife, you know what I mean? So, I'm kind of confused, like, how he didn't see that, like, right, right off. away. Especially, he said she was slumped over, but, like, on her like Mm -hmm. see her face right yeah and also too so like and we're about to find out like you know the extent of her injuries but there was blood everywhere and so i don't understand and again maybe he's just in shock at this point but like i don't understand how you see the scene that you're about to that you're about to be described um and think like cpr is even an option like there's no like there's no way that that's and work. did i hear him correct that he said he thought she slipped mm-hmm. a knife or something on a knife yeah right that's that's i mean ridiculous to me too hear the extent of her injuries now yeah well so let's get there then so ellen is in their kitchen and there is blood everywhere like i said As you just heard, Ellen has a knife sticking out from her chest. When paramedics get to the sixth floor apartment, Ellen is lying on her back with her head and some of her body and shoulders on the lower half of their white kitchen cabinets, while her right hand is in a closed fist. Investigators later said that they believed her body was moved from her original position because of the blood streaks, but that's pretty consistent with what Sam told the 911 operator. He was trying to perform CPR on her, and he can't do that, if she's upright against the cabinets. It's immediately obvious to them that Ellen had been stabbed multiple times. She had stab wounds in her chest and superficial wounds also on her chest too, but investigators said it didn't appear as though she had any defensive wounds. So she didn't have any scratches or bruising on her fingers or Mm -hmm. what you would typically see as if... So are are they thinking she was caught off guard? If you're going into this like I am, thinking that she was murdered... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the safe assumption here would be is, is because of no defensive wounds that she, you know, didn't see this coming, that she was stabbed and, you know, didn't have time to defend herself in any way. Okay. So the knife Sam found in Ellen's chest was consistent with the rest of the knives in the block that was on their counter and overturned, as reported by the Washington Post. There is also a half-finished fruit salad on the counter, which doesn't really tell me much other than just the fact that she was clearly in the middle of something when all this happened. Investigators say the solid bar door guard on and the common latch on the front door to the apartment is broken with the screws loose but still attached to the door. They said it was obviously forced open in a locked position, which again would have been consistent with Sam's story that he forced the door open. But aside from that, there is no evidence of any real struggle and nothing appeared to be missing from the apartment. The only way to exit the apartment besides the front door is through a rear sliding door that leads to a patio, but investigators said it was locked and there were no snow tracks. But remember, there is a heavy snowstorm coming through the city, so snow was still falling when investigators arrived. 
Inside Ellen and Sam's apartment, though, investigators found a range of prescriptions for Ellen, including Alprazolam, Clonazepam, and Zolpidem. And I looked them up, and Alprazolam and Clonazepam are used to treat anxiety and depression, respectively, and Zolpidem is used to treat insomnia. Investigators also found a journal of medications which described her state of mind while she was taking the medications. The last date in the journal is January 16th, 10 days before Ellen died. I wonder if the gaps were normal behavior for her Mm -hmm. or if she did religiously write in it every day and she abruptly stopped 10 days prior. Yeah, I am. I'm curious about that too. So investigators also get a hold of Ellen's cell phone, which shows her last outgoing call was made at 2.30 that day to an undisclosed contact and lasted for about 30 seconds. So probably like a no answered call. The last missed calls came from Sam between 5.30 and 5.42, so just when he was trying to get back into the apartment, and also from Venice Lofts between 6.07 and 6.10. She sent her last text to an undisclosed number at 3.47, and her last incoming texts were, again, from Sam. And Kelly, I need you to read what those texts say. Okay, so they say, Hello? Open the door. What are you doing? I'm getting pissed. Hello? You better have an excuse. What the fuck? Ah, you have no idea. Okay, that last one definitely spikes my interest. But the other ones I will say are on par with the aggravation I coming from a fiance who's maybe uh, being a little disrespectful, but totally normal for just being aggravated. Yeah. And I also think too, like you can't discount the fact that like, you know, we're both from like the Northeast. So we can definitely say this, like the temperature, tempers are short, you know, in the, in, like, in this part of the area of the country. So, you know, like, okay. Like not to excuse it. I mean that you better have an excuse is a little, mm, okay. Aggressive. Aggressive. Not, um, not a necessarily a red flag for me. As Mm. much as the last one. You have no idea. Mm. Yeah. It almost sounds like a threat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It gives me the chills. Just like, again, I guess just like knowing what was actually like going on in the apartment. At least, again, from the story he told. need another glass for this next part. Yeah, let's definitely fill up our glasses. Because it's about to get weird. So, investigators start piecing together a timeline of Ellen's death. And they start with Sam and Ellen's neighbors. Who say that they didn't hear anything out of the ordinary that night. No fights or loud noises. But... I find that a little odd, only because, again, Sam had to, like, break down the door to get in, and, like, that can't be quiet by you any means. didn't hear that? Yeah, it's just, like, a little strange that no one mentioned that, or if they did, that police didn't mention it in their report. And say, if they truly didn't hear him breaking down the door, what else did they not hear? Yeah, I mean, if that if that's true, and they didn't hear anything, like, that feels like a pretty significant hole in, the, in Sam's story, so it still feels, like, worthy of, like, okay, like, let's maybe revisit the story that Sam's telling, because, again, like, if you had to break down the door, like neighbors are going to hear that how can you know i mean at least i know from my friends when i visit them in the city you hear everything from your neighbor upstairs yeah walls are thin yeah so i yeah i don't yeah i don't really 
I don't know that 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 felt like a very small detail, but like a very big red flag to me. Um, but investigators' next stop is the people closest to Ellen, and their goal is to get a closer look into Sam and Ellen's relationship. The next day, investigators call Ellen's parents, who were already told by Sam that their daughter had died in one of the worst ways imaginable. This is when Ellen's mom tells police that she had just spoken with her daughter the morning before she died. She said she had no indication that there was anything wrong. She did tell police that she had been suffering from anxiety and that she had been seeing a psychiatrist for it. They did say that recently she hasn't really been sure of herself in her career and a little bit in her relationship, which is not really consistent consistent of how she felt her whole life. I mean, she was this vibrant, beautiful young woman ready to take on the world. But despite all of that, they were unaware of her having any suicidal thoughts or actions. I will say I feel like anxiety is a relatively common disorder to suffer from. And um, the things she's mm-hmm. feeling given her age, mm-hmm. I uh, the uncertainty uh, in a relationship, in her job, that's very, normal. very normal. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily a red flag. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's definitely giving like quarter life crisis, which like, pfft, I can relate to, you know what I'm hi, saying? How are you? Like, hi, I'm right here. <laughs> so, um, her parents said that they were happy with Sam and they had absolutely no reservations about her relationship at all. But months before Alan had died, she did tell her parents that she wanted to move back home to Harrisburg. And her parents were really confused by this because from the outside looking in, Ellen looked happy, in love, and successful, but maybe just struggling a little bit to find her footing. But that desire never came up again, so they just kind of blew it off. Investigators then questioned Ellen's psychiatrist, who said she was shocked by the news of Ellen's death. She had only seen Ellen three times before she died, and she actually had an appointment scheduled for the very next day. Ellen's psychiatrist had diagnosed her with severe anxiety. Ellen had expressed feelings of being really overwhelmed at work. Her school district had recently changed some regulations, and Ellen had really struggled to keep up. The last time Ellen had spoken to her psychiatrist, she was deciding whether she was going to quit her job or just work through it. As for her relationship, she had spoken lovingly of Sam, and her psychiatrist had gotten no indication of any physical or emotional abuse, and said she didn't believe she was abusing the pills she had been prescribed for her various mental illnesses. No one really gets a decently clear picture of Ellen's final moments until her autopsy comes out, and the details are extreme. So, Kelly, I hope you have your bottle handy. Taking my sip now. Ellen's autopsy says that she has multiple contusions to her her upper arm, forearm, abdomen, thigh, and her knee. It also says she had been stabbed 20 times, eight times to her chest, once to her abdomen, another on her scalp, and 10 times to her neck. And Kelly, it's really hard to imagine the number of stab wounds, but there is a diagram of all of the stab wounds on Ellen's body that the family's private investigator eventually puts together. And so I want you to take a look at this, and we're also going to link to it on the episode's page on our website. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like... Okay. Yeah, when we're talking about, like, like, a lot of blood, you know what I mean? Like, listen, I sit through animal surgeries multiple times a week, and I can say I've yet to walk out of one. I don't get a weak stomach easily. 
This is physically making me wince. Yeah, it's intense. So, um, you know, again, if you're listening to this and thinking about clicking on the what we're linking to, prepare yourself. Because, I mean, it's, it's a diagram, so it's not actually her, of course. And so, um, but it's still, I mean, just thinking about, you know, the like the sheer number of wounds here, like intense. All it's bringing me back to is he, on the 911 call, said she stabbed herself i don't know i guess i guess i guess i think about him like potentially being in shock um and just like really just not sure what's going on like seeing this again just to give him the benefit of of the doubt here absolutely and i think when there is so much blood i it is probably harder to see the wounds Mm -hmm. physically yeah so i understand not realizing the of wounds. You did mention that she had multiple contusions to her upper arms Mm. and forearms. I wonder how she would get that. That maybe sounds like some sort of defensive wound to me. Yeah. So we're going to get there much later on. So maybe write that down. We're going to get there. So one stab wound in particular gets a lot of attention from the medical examiner. It's that stab wound to the back of her neck that damaged her spinal cord. The ME writes that the injury was severe, but it wasn't severe enough that it would have incapacitated her. So the ME decides that she would have been able to inflict every other wound herself. But ultimately, the medical examiner rules her death a homicide. Which I can totally agree with. So would have been able to inflict every other wound herself. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, the number of stab wounds, like, I feel like, I don't know, again, never been stabbed, thank goodness. But if I, like, I feel like you pass out from the pain at the very least. I can agree with you more. I would. I don't know of one case off the top of my head where someone willingly stabbed themselves this many times. Ellen's parents got the news that their daughter's death is a homicide moments before her father was going to give her eulogy at her funeral. And he announces to all of her friends and family that Ellen Greenberg was a victim of foul play. But evidently, it's not that simple. Kelly, let's just take a few minutes to refill our glasses, and I promise you, you're going to need it, because this is when Ellen's story takes a very complicated turn. Oh, I know I'm going to need it. Liam, I don't know about your wine, but my wine's tasting divine as shit. <laughs> I, I, I'm, ditto, ditto. That's all I have to Cheers. say. Cheers. I am doing very well over here. I'm about like halfway through this bottle. I have to say it tends to get even more delightful. Mm-hmm. The more you drink it. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that, you know, it really just, it really just goes down a little bit easier once your palate gets a little more used to it. You notice a lot more flavors. It's just, it's, it's an experience. Wine is an experience. So the very next day after Ellen's loved ones lay her to rest, the Philadelphia Police Department makes a peculiar announcement about her case. They say Ellen's death isn't necessarily a homicide, at least from their perspective, but they do say it's suspicious. Wait, wait, wait. Suspicious? Suspicious. Yeah. Go on. So the medical examiner's office follows suit after apparently some sort of private meeting between them and the Philadelphia Police Department, and they officially change Ellen's manner of death to suicide. A private meeting? I... I mean, I am not in law, so maybe I don't know how it works, but I feel like 
nothing should be private in a murder investigation, potentially. Yeah, this oh, feels a little icky to me. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of that whole private meeting. I mean, when you when you say, like, nothing should be private, like, I tend to disagree, you know, and just in terms of, like, when you're talking about, like, you know, they, they do hold their, their cards to their chest because they don't want to, you know, jeopardize a potential trial. But in this case, like, they make it very clear that there is no suspect. So I don't really... I don't really buy that because they seem to be saying, okay, yep, open, shut, bye, you know? And I'm like, okay, so, like, like, what's the point of the backdoor meeting if you're just going to say, yeah, she did it to herself? Like, you're not looking for anybody, clearly. Like, there's no crime committed, at least, from again, from your perspective. So I don't really understand this whole privacy thing going on. Can you explain to me why they... Switched it, death of manner, to a suicide? So the medical examiner appoints to a few key pieces of evidence in this decision, including her spinal cord injuries that the office says wasn't severe and Ellen's lack of defensive wounds. The last piece of evidence they bring up in this decision was the security guard witness. This was the first time that investigators talked about that piece of evidence publicly. And the ME decided that contributed to the timeline that Ellen ultimately took her own life. I honestly forgot about the security guard. Don't forget about him again because he comes up later on. So store that. I Yes, I would love to know his account. But I would also say the lack of defensive wounds doesn't necessarily point to suicide. It could be someone catching her off guard. As we said, mm-hmm. stab wounds to the neck. It could have been someone that sneaked up on her. And that's do that's yeah. why she has lack of defensive wounds. Yeah, I'm not really buying like the first two points about the spinal cord injuries or the lack of defensive wounds for pretty much exactly what you just said. Um, but I also I mean, like, even the the security guard part, like, that is not an Emmy's job at all. Like, the Emmy's job is strictly to talk about, like, the physical evidence on the body. The and findings based off of the body. And, right. Yes. Yeah. Like, they're just, their job is to decide how this person died and, like, what was going, like, what the what evidence lies on the body. Not to speculate. That's the detective's right. job. That's the police's job to decide to put all, to take, like, the Emmy report is just one piece of evidence that the police and the prosecutors decide to put into a much larger picture so it just seems weird that they say like oh the security guard like swayed us in this way i'm like that's not appropriate at all i couldn't agree more so investigators also point to ellen's anxiety and depression as further evidence that she was unstable and that the combination of pills she was taking was enough for her to be able to take her own life but i also read a really interesting article about this and the pills ellen had been prescribed lamb mc Ireland, a law firm based in Westchester County, New York, wrote about the Ellen Greenberg investigation, and they spoke with a licensed counselor who wrote, quote, the only kind of drug that could force her to act this way on her own would have been one that gave her superhuman strength, increasing pain tolerance. I was just going to say, back to my point on anxiety and depression, they are both very common Mm -hmm. and i don't think uh pills could lead to that type of like they said pain tolerance i can't imagine um a a basic prescription pill leading me to be able to stab myself 20 times 
Yeah, and I also, like, I read that and I think of, like, okay, superhuman strength and, like, increasing pain tolerance. Like, I think of, like, pill, like, I can't imagine a prescription pill making, being able to do that. So it's, like, okay, well, maybe it's, like, the only thing I can think of, I guess, is, like, heroin, like, cocaine, like, street drugs that, like, make that happen, which, again, like, there was no indication that this was involved in Ellen's death at all. Um, but that's clearly what this, um, what this, uh, uh, counselor is referring to here, I would think, anyways. Ellen's parents are not buying the story that she died by suicide. I mean, they just wrapped their heads around the idea of someone murdering their daughter, let alone the idea that she was so unhappy in her life to end it all. On top of that, pieces of this story are just not adding up to them, and like me neither, so they hire their own private investigators and end up ordering three independent autopsies. The first report was published on January 11th, 2012. That report cast some serious doubt about police's suicide theory, but also the officer's investigation as a whole. The family's private investigator says the investigators only spent an hour inside of Sam and Ellen's apartment before they left and closed the crime scene, allowing friends, family, and even employees at the apartment inside. The report also says that it's rare for there to be multiple stab wounds in a suicide case. Typically, if someone is going to die by suicide in a stabbing, they would make shallow cuts to their wrist to see if it hurts before inflicting one fatal stab wound. The report also says that suicide victims are less likely to stab themselves through clothing, which was the case in Ellen's death. They also take a look at those multiple stab wounds to Ellen's neck. The family's private investigator says the wounds to the neck were inflicted in different directions, so they argue that makes it even more unlikely that she inflicted those herself. They rule Ellen's death highly suspicious of homicide and the fact that they're in different uh directions is she switching hands and stabbing the back of her neck over and over and then stabbing her chest Uh, it just doesn't really add up to me yeah, the next two reports the family commissions are published five years later. All the while, the family is trying to desperately get someone to take another look at Ellen's case to no avail. The next report is published on January 10th, 2017. Here, the investigator argues the stab wound that punctured Ellen's spinal cord would have made her lose consciousness at the very least. The report also argues there is enough evidence for manual strangulation, pointing out a mark at the front of Ellen's neck that appears to be from a fingernail and discusses bruising around the neck too. The report also makes the first mention that I saw of bruises found in different places across Ellen's body. The bruises are in different phases of healing and the investigator argues they are consistent with repeated beatings. The investigator rules Ellen's death a homicide too. Well, that would make sense that uh, the bruising the only defensive wounds you would not see them maybe in the initial reports because i mean bruising takes like a few days to progress let me provide a little more context here of what i think they're trying to say like i think it's very clear that what they're trying to say here is that like this didn't happen on the night she was murdered like this happened over several months that she had these bruises pop up across her body so 
The last report is published on January 29th, 2018. This report raises questions about the dried blood on Ellen when she was found. The investigator said it appeared Ellen had been moved after she died. The investigator says the blood spatter shows evidence that she was likely standing when she received her initial stab wound before she fell with her head leaning forward, producing more blood stains on her shirt and pants. The report also says Ellen's death is consistent with a homicide scene, too. Does it say in any of the reports uh, whether the chest wounds or the neck wounds uh, were first? So, yes, but we're going to get there a little bit later. So Take a sip sorry. in the meantime. Yeah, so you're thinking the right way, but I like that. It's my true crime brain thinking. <laughs> Love that for you. Well, these monstrous new reports seem really unlikely to change anyone's minds about the way Ellen died for some reason, but the family is finally about to get someone on their side. The family takes these reports to the state attorney general's office, trying to get them to take another look at Ellen's case and finally rule Ellen's death a homicide so someone can finally be held accountable for it years later. But in March 2019, the state attorney general's office deals the family another blow. They say the evidence laid out so far is indeed indicative of a manner of death of suicide. When the office says that, they back it up using searches found on Ellen's computer. Those searches include methods of suicide, quick death, and depression, which I just don't see at all. Like, sure, I don't think anyone denies that Ellen had severe mental illnesses, like she was taking prescriptions for it. Like, sure, her computer searches back that up, but the physical evidence is so contrary to that so far. And just because someone was Googling, like, ways to kill yourself doesn't necessarily mean that that's, like, that's what they did. Plus, I really doubt stabbing yourself 20 times or even once is the first thing that pops up when you look up ways to commit suicide, and definitely not when you look up ways for quick death. Liam, you are reading my mind, quote-unquote, quick death. Mm -hmm. uh, that is not what I think of brutal stab wounds to the neck and chest that's yeah. not quick death not that's not pain no it is more likely that someone typed this into her computer versus her actually typing this into her computer and then following through with the suicide it is important to, to note that like some of these all of these you know searches were done days to weeks to months before um ellen's actual death so i think that is really important to note so like you know I'm not saying that someone didn't type this into a computer and like, you know, maybe, you know, before, but this does still feel like a crime of passion. Again, if we're going with a homicide theory here, whoever did kill, kill her, like would have done that like that day as opposed to like, weeks they before. weren't premeditating it. Yeah. You think it was heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I will say it is definitely possible that Maybe she was because she was suffering from anxiety and depression. Maybe she did look these methods up, mm -hmm. but I still don't think she would come to the conclusion of stabbing herself 20 times based off of these searches. I don't think they correlate. 
Yeah, I th- that's BS to me. I'm calling that right now. Well, Ellen's family is not giving up, though. They file a lawsuit against the city and the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office wanting to get Ellen's manner of death changed from suicide to homicide, or at the very least, undetermined. The family's attorney starts poking some holes in the story investigators put together about Ellen's death, and there are a lot of holes to be poked here. They start with that building security guard. At this point, it had been revealed that the security guard was not there when Sam broke into the apartment. Excuse me? And the lawyer even presents security camera video that backs that up, that the security guard never even left the lobby the night of Ellen's death. Wait, 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 wait. So he totally lied about someone being present when he Mm -hmm. apparently busted open that door to... Mm -hmm get to his fiance. Yeah, well, and let's also revisit the fact that this was like the linchpin in determining that she was that it was suicide. So, like this like piece of evidence, supposed evidence is just gone. So it's like okay, like what are we going to do about that? No one can validate her actual time of death or at least mm-hmm. when he discovered her. So, yeah. So this isn't even in the end of it either. The Philadelphia Inquirer reports that police had relied on a report supposedly written by Lucy Rourke Adams on Ellen's death. It was supposedly a major deciding factor for police to rule Ellen's death a suicide. Okay, well, what does it say? Well, it supposedly said that she examined Ellen's spinal cord injuries and saw no major defects, but no one really knows that for sure because the Greenberg's family lawyer says no one has actually seen that report. And as a part of the Philadelphia Inquirer's investigation, a reporter actually called Lucy Rourke Adams and wrote that she did say that she did some contract work with the um, Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office, but that she had no recollection of Ellen's case. The reporter also writes that there was no invoice, bill, or report from Lucy Rourke Adams' office to the Medical Examiner's Office found in multiple public records requests. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not in that job field, so I wouldn't know if this is common for you to forget cases, but I just think if I was looking at a dead body examining the wounds and using my professional knowledge to make educated guesses, I just, I feel like that would be something I would Well, and certainly you'd remember a 20-something-year-old woman being stabbed 20 times? Just a thought. I would think so. Like I said, I'm not in, I don't know how many copies Mm -hmm. she's viewed and how many, um, how often this is, how common this is for her. But I just think me personally, especially the brutality of this case, it's definitely something that would stick in my head if Mm -hmm. I was a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the 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 sticking point here is like they did like there was no invoice, there was no bill, there, like there was no report no to be found. Trial. Yeah, like nothing that even indicated that this report ever existed. And so, like you know, but supposedly this was like the big thing that said, okay, yeah, this was going to be something that you know we're going to use to rule her death a suicide. I don't want to sound accusatory. That just sounds very sketchy to me. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> so as for that stab wound to the neck, though, the lawyer argues that the wound could not have been self-inflicted because it lacked blood spurting, indicating that she was stabbed after she had already died. I will say I have heard that in multiple um, true crime podcasts. I've heard that if you if the stab wounds are inflicted post-mortem, they do not bleed, whereas mm-hmm. if they are inflicted while you are still alive, your blood is still pumping from your heart, so you do bleed mm-hmm. from those wounds. Yeah, right, exactly. And so that was kind of what they used to be like, no, there's no way that she was still alive when this happened because her heart had clearly stopped beating because there was no there was no blood coming out of that wound. So are they trying to say that the chest wounds were done first because they did bleed and the staff wounds were done Post-mortem? Yeah, so I guess I guess that's what they're trying to say. Um, but because because the one they specifically mentioned was the one to the back of the neck, and so I guess yeah, I guess there's I I mean I don't really know unless like whoever did this again like you know rotated back and forth, and so this particular stab wound is like no, like she was already dead when this happened. It clouds my vision of what I think happened. When I hear that, because in my head, an attacker, especially with lack of defensive wounds, would have done those neck wounds first and Mm. incapacitated her while she was not expecting it. Well, unless, here's my thought on that, though, because, again, there were 10 stab wounds, and this is talking about one specific stab wound. So unless, like, it was to the back of the neck first, and then just the stab wound that they're specifically talking about here, okay. like, she already died, and then so so then at that point, and then the, the chest wounds were, were next. I never really saw, like, specifically, like, what order they think this all happened in, but again, like, they're talking about that one specific stab wound to the neck that they argue is post-mortem, so therefore she, it was impossible for her to, to inflict it on herself. I will tell you right now, Liam, I'm not buying suicide. Oh, I yeah. I will tell you right now, I, this, there's something deeper going on here. This is not suicide. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm right there with you, Kelly. So, finally, the lawyer points out the latch on the door to Sam and Ellen's apartment. The latch that Sam had supposedly broken trying to get in when Ellen wasn't answering her phone. While the lawyer argues that the latch wasn't broken properly, saying that the latch on the door frame was pretty much undamaged outside of some loose screws. And Kelly, they also introduced some pictures the investigators took the night Ellen died. So, here I want you to take a look at at this as well. Post-break? Post-break. Okay, well, I guess I see where the paint and the frame separated and the screws Mm -hmm. straight. So I guess what is a proper break and what do they mean by this is not a proper break? Well, I don't really know. I guess I never really saw like it described, but... I, this is not what I was picturing at all. Like, I was picturing, like, all of these. Yeah, busted open. Like, I guess I could see a world where this is, like, able to open. But, I mean, he's easily, like, 200 plus pounds based on the pictures of him. So I just can't imagine, like, this 200 plus pound, like, muscular man breaking through this door and, like, not doing more damage than this. I am thinking, though, if the neighbor's didn't hear anything this does seem like a relatively delicate break Mm. no it just it does seem like 
one swift kick might have mm. unlatched, like separated the pain. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Like, so, so what you're, I think it sounds like you're saying, like, you know, that his story, it seems to be adding up a little bit more in terms of like neighbors not being able to hear this. Yeah, just as far as, uh, when we do think of a door getting busted in, we think of a lot of uh, splintered wood, at least, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah, like at least some damage to the actual door or the door frame. Absolutely. And maybe that's what they mean by proper break. I mean, if it's that easy, I mean, I guess the only thing I'm learning from that is I'm, like, never trusting that ever again. Like, no, right? You always need a second back. Yeah, I guess so. At this point, the family finally gets someone to agree with them. A judge allows the family's lawsuit to proceed, saying that there was enough evidence presented to potentially change Ellen's cause of death away from suicide, and allowing the family to go through with a wrongful death lawsuit if that change is eventually made. In the meantime, the family is asking the Philadelphia District Attorney to take another look at Ellen's case, but the DA actually represented the family at one point while he was in private practice, so he deflects to the state attorney general's office to avoid a potential conflict of interest, which is the same excuse that the state attorney general eventually uses in 2022, when the office punts it back to the Philadelphia district attorney, saying they want to avoid a conflict of interest or the appearance of a conflict of interest, too. But NBC Philadelphia reported it's not clear what exactly that conflict of interest is. But luckily, the Chester County District Attorney's Office picks the case up to take another look in late 2022. And in 2023, that's exactly where things stand. Ellen's case is still a suicide, at least on paper, but at least it's open with the possibility that after all of these years, the family could finally get a fresh look at the case and finally get some closure of what happened to Ellen Greenberg. I can't imagine being a friend, a mother to this woman, and oh my God. knowing that her death is marked down in legal papers as a suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and just reading through this, like, it was like the roller coaster of, like, of back and forth, like, you know, like, it's it's a homicide, then it's a suicide, then, like, maybe it's not a homicide, but then maybe it's a suicide, and it's like, oh my God, like, the trauma... The trauma that that family and those friends are probably facing, just having to deal with the constant back and forth. Mm -hmm. It's uh, and let alone labeling it as a suicide. I don't know. I like I said, I'm not any sort of medical professional in Mm -mm. this field, but that just seems like a slap in the face to the victim. Yeah, me neither. And the good news, though, is that someone is finally looking at Ellen's death again. But I think it's very obvious that investigators originally probably didn't treat Ellen's apartment even remotely like a possible murder scene. I mean, the only people who believe that she committed suicide was them. So I think it's very likely that they went into that crime scene under the assumption that it was a suicide and treated it like one from the beginning. And look, if the ultimate outcome to Ellen's death is that she did indeed take her home life, I will eat these words. But 
I'm just not buying it. But regardless, everyone's death deserves to be investigated thoroughly. And so you can put the pressure on investigators right now to investigate Ellen's death to the fullest possible extent. You can let them know that you care about Ellen and her family. So if you know anything about Ellen Greenberg's death, call the Chester County District Attorney's Office, and that number is 610-344-6801. And you can also sign the family's change.org petition, which we are also going to list under our show notes. It doesn't hurt anything to push for more investigation. Mm-hmm. I mean, the family and the friends of her deserve closure, and it only makes sense that uh, we can get a definitive definitive answer on what Mm -hmm. happened to her. Yeah. Well, and also just the cloud over this investigation too, I think it's, it's just, it's fair at the very least to take another good, hard look here and make sure that we really looked at everything that we can 12 years later to make sure that we really know for sure that we can really say for sure that no one was responsible for this, that no one deserves to be serving time for this. I mean, this is a brutal death and I don't think that uh, this person would do a one and done situation it seems like Mm. it was a very very violent crime and I just can't imagine it being a one off thing I think we really need to get to the bottom of what happened and uh, who's responsible for it well that is all that we have for you this week and Callie thank you so much for coming on it was so great to talk with you again even now for after this you know incredibly challenging story to talk about no yeah obviously the story was hard to digest but it's something that everyone needs to hear so important doing amazing amazing things advocating for these victims well kelly we love our crime and our wine but we also love our rescue pets too and i know that's one of your biggest passions so tell everyone where they can find your work online or support rescue animals from wherever they're listening to this episode yeah absolutely i work for two incredible shelters that uh Basically, we take on the cases that no one else will, and we fund them, and whether it's medical, behavioral, uh, we will figure it out, and we will help these animals. One of them is littleshelter.org. The other one is southhamptonanimalshelter.com. Both of them would really appreciate a good donation or even a share on one of their posts. Close to 1 million animals worldwide are euthanized in shelters every year. Uh, And this is not due to medical issues or behavioral issues. This is strictly due to lack of space, lack of resources, lack of funding. 99% of dogs in shelters are actually healthy and adoptable. Most breeders don't even genetically test their breeding dogs to ensure healthy litters. And Mm. even if they do, that in no way guarantees their health. Only 20% of our 50 states require these statistics to be reported. Uh. So who knows how many dogs are actually being euthanized? Who knows how many dogs are actually being adopted out? There really is no accurate way of telling. Well, as the owner of two very shy dogs from the shelter, I can definitely attest to that. And I can say that once they break out of that little 
you know, that awkward little bubble that, you know, makes things a little challenging. Sometimes they follow me around everywhere and they are two of my best friends in the entire world. So I guess moral of the story here is adopt, don't shop, right? Uh, if you don't see something you like, Next week, we will have something new. Well, I love your passion for this so much, and I could talk about this all day with you. So here's my thought. Like, I think we should do, like, a water podcast and also, like, a dog podcast. Um, Just, like, throw it out there. You don't have to commit right now. I will marinate on it, but yeah. <laughs> okay, excellent. Well, thank you again so much for coming on, and thank you all so much for listening. We are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories for yourself, too. So make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we will see you next week for another episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.